And now I'd like to ask you to help me welcome to the stage our Senior Minister, Dr. Patrick Cameron. Good morning. I better not, well, I'll do that. I don't think Sean will sit on it when he comes back out, will he? Maybe, we'll test him. All right, so um, let's sing a song and say a prayer. If you'd like to stand with me and pray, please feel free. If not, please stay seated. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit, is in this very room in this very room in this very room let us step into that transcendent awareness in this moment and the tool I use for that is my recognition of the one life, Spirit's life, and I see it everywhere I look. It is the breath I breathe. It stands beside me in the form of the men and the women, and the children and the boys and the girls, the grandparents, all of the generations, that that's, that life is alive there. It is alive everywhere. And as I see it, recognize it, and claim it as my own life as well, I dive to the depths of my being in that awareness. And so to collectively and individually we abide in that presence, that transcendent experience, finding the Christ, as Dr. Ernest Holmes said, not just for one, but for all. So we stand together in this awareness. We stand in a community that stands for love, beauty, joy, celebration of life. We stand in a community that has the authentic and real conversation to talk about the things that bubble up for us, to talk about the, the pain and the wound as well as the love and the joy. And so I stand with you in, in beauty and joy. I stand with you in my brokenness and my wounds to have a discussion today about the world and how we filter that and how we internalize those things. How we may take our wounds, mourn them, and use them to become sacred in every way, shape, and form. I just give thanks this day for all that and more. I know that every good thing for you and I to experience in thought, word, and deed is divinely guided as we stand together in that transcendent awareness of who we are and whose we are. For this I give thanks. I release anything in my awareness and in my consciousness that is in contrast, opposition, or restricts my experience of my oneness with all of life. And together we say, and so it is. Amen.
Thank you, Brown. I better straighten my notes out here. I'll be doing my talk backwards. But you wouldn't know. You see, uh, before the, on, the, on the platform here, I went out yesterday as I was uh, processing the uh, event that took place in Connecticut with the children. And I think that uh, at times like this, when there is so much sorrow and pain that is free-floating on the planet, and everyone I run into, when I went to buy these flowers, there's 27 here. There were 27, there were 27 people that uh, lost their lives. They represent, these flowers represent not only the children and the, and the teachers, but also the, the, uh, the shooter and his family. So these flowers represent generation upon generation upon generation. And I think to be in, uh, and, and we, are practical, we are practical mystical teaching. And when I know that when, when these things happen, and there's such a ripple of it, when I went to select the flowers, I told the woman at the flower shop what we were doing, and she was just shaking as she was picking the flowers out. I wanted to get all white flowers to represent peace, and she didn't have them. And I thought, well, how beautiful we'll get these gerbs that have all the colors to represent kids. But I wanted in some way or shape and form to bring some clarity to that experience, because as people that are deeply connected to our spirituality, which is what we represent, how do we look at the world? How do we filter it? Because there's so many ideas out there that come up for us as a result of this. I have to tell you right now, I'm just, I'm, I've been cracked open for days. I've had to put the books down and, and do my own mourning and sorrow and, and my own, my own uh, projection about it. You know? And then I, I look at uh, the children in my life and the children in your lives and, and, and you know, the, the sadness of, of how... The most innocent of us, the ones that we, we all long to protect so much, uh, can, can have this experience. And what can I do with my cracked open heart? Because what most people will do, and I find myself at times too, is I'll wanna, I want to place the blame. I want to go to resolution. I want to fix it. And so we can, there's all kinds of places we can go with that. We can blame the, the NRA and, uh, and assault rifles. We can blame uh, the violence in, in uh, video games. You know, the video games, it has been a, a cultural thing, especially for young men. They become more and more violent. Um, the movies. You know, the movies that it's uh, typically the loner that is a standalone by himself, and then all of a sudden the resolution is found through his own stepping up and, and resolving it through some form of violence. So there's all those things, and there are going to be discussions about that and how we can fix that. Another, what is closer to home to me is this idea, the stigmatism that is in the society around mental illness. Because obviously there was mental illness involved with this. This is someone that, that for whatever reason, uh, never connected, uh, and I'm going to talk a great deal about that today, but never connected in a way that was meaningful in their life. And, it, and it's, it's not just this individual. But what happens with mental illness many times is because of the way we measure success, we think that if you have mental, a mental illness or that some, you need to reach out and get some help or get some guidance, that you failed. Dr. Gans is sitting over here right now nodding his head. It's a stigma in, in, in society. Go to counseling? Go talk to somebody? Then I failed. I've got to do this on my own. And I want to speak to that a little bit too. But I think it's important for us to have this discussion because it's impacted so many of us. Dr. Holmes said there's no private good. And there's no private, private sorrow. And there are, we are in the family. Those are our children as well. And so, and, and there are loved ones and they're the parents. And, and those people's lives, these 27 flowers here representing generation upon generation, their lives will never be the same. Ever again. 
And so what do we do with all that? Because it's, you know, the question I hear uh, spoken and I see it on the internet is, where's God in this? Where's God in this? How could a God, how could a loving God allow this to happen? And when I hear that, what I know is that for myself and my understanding of my relationship with the infant and that God is not a personality. God is a vibration. God is an energy. And God has given us complete freedom and dominion over our lives. And we have been given free choice and free will. We don't abdicate that at any point in time, but when we're not aware of the transcendent experience, when we're not aware of the God within us, then what, what is there? We're on our own. And so that, the, these, these, this young man that, that said, I'm on my own, and, and felt powerless and hopeless, and spun into his own frustration and rage, and it became rage. And so that's not God. So it's a very, very, it's a very juvenile and childish perspective that someone is articulating. And you don't need to share that with them when you hear that. That's not the God I know. The God I know gives me freedom to choose in any moment. You know, there's times when I, when I, when I realize something happens and I want to, you know, I want to get that guy. I want to get that, you know, I want, I want my revenge. But it, my spiritual practice says that's not the answer. What's that triggering in you? Why do you feel like the victim? Why do you feel oppressed? And then I get to do my own work and bring it back to me and say, well, what, what am I upset about? And so then I don't have to take the action. I can look and do my own work internally. And I can pull up and look at it and say, you know what? I don't want this to be alive for me anymore. But when you don't have the context and you don't have that conversation and you don't understand that life is a journey, that we're not static, and that all of us have obstacles and all of us have struggles, but that is there so that we continue to grow and mature, if you don't understand that, it's hopeless and it's helpless and, no, and there's nobody to, to reach out to. And we spin in our own frustration and anger. So what I love about our teaching. I love about this tradition. It's not that we're never done. And, and you're part of that. You're part of that, that, that cultural creative individuals that, that understand your spiritual connection. And despite what has happened in our lives, the sorrow and the, the bitter pain and the tragedies, it's always to come back to that transcendent experience of understanding that there's something bigger than this happening. I know that every one of those little kids has been greeted by a host of angels. I'm not happy it happened, but I believe in an unconditionally loving God. And, 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 and maybe they showed up collectively to say, to you guys gotta wake up. That's the inspiration that, that part of it for me is alive. Wake up. Laura and I have been going back and forth for two days on this, sitting there and talking and going on the internet and reading and pulling together. And, Back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And she said to me yesterday, you know, we need, we need centers like this in every, every town in North America, across the world. Because what we teach is absolutely the thing that's missing in this experience. And so I want to talk to you today about, about this process of mourning, because we got to mourn. See, what we want to do, and I named some of the things we go to solution. Let's place the blame. Let's fix this. We've got to legislate this. Let's get rid of guns. Let's get rid of this. this. Believe me, if people, are, if people are bent on destruction and in that mindset, they will find a way to hurt. And I'm not saying don't do those things. I don't know. I'm not an expert at that. But what I do know, I know, understand consciousness. And I understand what is alive in all of us. And if we address that, then the rest of this becomes secondary. And I'm not saying everyone will, but some will. Some will answer the call. And so what I know in this, what we teach and what I understand is our deepest desire, your deepest desire, my deepest desire, whether we know it or not, everyone's deepest desire is for union with spirit. It is for union with God. 
Spirit created us for union with itself. This is the original purpose of our lives. Did not Ernest Holmes, when he said, passed on affirmative prayer, what's the first step? Recognition. There's one life. Big deal. No, no, no. It's one life, and that life is mine. It, and, it's that, and that's a portal of transcendence to move into that. The teacher Jesus said, you are the branches, I am the trunk. He was speaking from that oneness of life. He was speaking from his unbroken connection with God, the source of all life. When he said, I am the tree and you are the branches. We are all connected to that, always. It's a given. And yet we forget sometimes, we feel that we're alone in it. Our sin, which is a mistake, miss the mark, it's an archer's term, it's Greek. Our sin is to miss the mark, is that the, the stubborn part inside of us wants above all else to be independent. You know, this teaching, this is great. I'm going to transform my consciousness. I won't have to be in relationship with anybody or anything ever again. And that's not true. You see, we can't be in, in intimate. The reason that we have lovers in our lives and the reason that we have great loves in our life is we can't, they're models, they're portals to the infinite. We can't, we can't be in high, rich, abundant relationship with spirit when we can't be in high and rich relationship with one another. You can't have one without the other. Oh, I'll, I'll, love, I'll love so-and-so, but I'm not going to love that person. And yet when we limit it, what we do is we limit ourselves. We just shut it down. And in an experience like this, it's so easy to say, well, the world is scary. It's a scary place. It's not safe. Look at it. You know, I'm, I'm cracked open. I'm unhappy about it. I'm scared. I don't understand it. I'm sad. I'm mourning with the parents. But I'm not going to let that stop me doing what I know is precious and important to do. But I'm going to have the experience and I'm going to be real about it. I'm not going to stuff it. I'm not going to deny it. I'm going to mourn with. I'm going to be in compassion, which is to suffer with this, these families and with you. You're suffering because of it. I know you are. I talked about this, and this is the work we have to do sometimes. I love coming together and having fun and celebrating and laughing and enjoying the music, but sometimes, man, life shows up and we've got to mourn together. We gotta, so what I want to do today is not only share some insight with you, but I wanna, we're going to do a process at the end around mourning. We're going to do a memorial. We're going to do a candle lighting for these children or for these families. And we're going to listen to a beautiful song, and we're going we're gonna to sing a song together to help all of us, me included, move forward in this. Because we need to be authentic with this. We need to be honest with one another. We need to be able to put a perspective on it that allows us, all of us, to move forward. That's why we do a memorial service. So our conversation can be a little bit more enhanced next time we meet. John Eldridge wrote the book, Wild at Heart. We don't have them. People always ask me. But John, and it's a very fundamental Christian book if you get it. There's a lot of scripture in there, but don't let that bother you. There's a lot of wisdom in it, okay? Actually, Holmes' favorite book was the Bible, but we don't talk about that much. Um, but anyway... In it, John Eldridge uh, was counseling a young man whose father, he's 10 years old, his father took his own life. He came home, he said, that Sunday changed our life forever. Came home and dad was gone. And so what he wrote years later, he said, this, this young man wrote in, in Eldridge's uh, Wild at Heart, he said, a child takes life as it comes. A child takes life as it comes. They have no other way of taking it. They are innocent. They are under our protection. They are under our, our supervision. And that's what's so upsetting about this as well, these precious children that we as a, as a culture, as a world, want to protect and take care of. Their most precious commodity. And when somebody, he continues, and when somebody you love dies, Mark Twain said it is like when your house burns down. It isn't for years that you realize the full extent, <laughs> the full extent of your loss. 
It isn't for years. So this, this is the beginning for these folks, this journey. But it isn't for years until you realize the full extent. And that's the journey of the morning, especially when it's so close to home. In this book, he talks about the steps to healing. Once again, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. And I want to share them with you, and then I want to add some insight to this particular episode that we just witnessed. And the number one step in healing that Eldridge talks about is surrender. Surrender to the divine presence. He words it differently. I filter this the way that I think it best serves our community and our philosophy. Service to the divine presence, to recognize the one life. That life and my life for one. I'm not in this alone. I want to move deeper and deeper and deeper into that. And as we become more deeply engaged in our own ability to love and our capacity to love one another, then we're in high relationship with everything and everyone in a way that makes sense. The people we don't even know we can be in high relationship with them because we, be, we hold the high watch for them. And we say, yeah, I see what's going on, but I know there's something greater. There's a spirit alive in that person, and this is what I'm knowing for that person. So number one is to surrender. We don't have to do it all ourselves. We're not in this alone. And yet that, that rugged frontier spirit that we model, you know, in the John Wayne, James Bond, you know, all this, 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 this mythology that we're inundated with. This, these, these ideas that don't serve us well. That keep us from that transcendent experience. Because we are hardwired for the experience of the infinite. In, in Eldridge's book, he talks about this idea. It's, uh, he quotes an author by the name of Buchner. Who said, to do for yourself the best that you have it in you to do, the best that you have in it to you to do, to grit your teeth and clench your fist in order to survive the world at, at its harshest and worst, which is what is going on right now, is by the very act to be unable to let something be done for you and in you that is more wonderful still. So our anger and our frustration and our fear and our closing down restricts us from life. So not only can't the bad get through, but the good can't get there either. So nothing wonderful can happen. The trouble with steeling yourself against the harshness of reality is that the same steel that secures your life against being destroyed secures your life also against being opened up and transformed. Can't have one without the other. You know what? I've never, I've never owned a handgun. I don't want to own a hand. I don't own a gun. I'm not a hunter, and I don't say get rid of your gun. I know wonderful hunters that own. Ken Gordon tells me he's got 14 rifles he inherited from his grandfather. He said, I don't have any bullets for him, so I got 14 clubs at home. But I, I, you know, I don't have a problem with that. But I'm just not called to do that. It's not part of my nature. And I'm not saying it's good or bad, because there's many, many responsible people that own guns. That's not the answer. It's a consciousness. And so, you know, I'm willing, I'm willing to surrender the, to this, this divine presence in that first step. And in that, what I know is I'm not alone in this. I have to allow myself to be guided. And I have to allow the God's presence in the form that you are to assist me. Because then my perspective changes all the time. Because then you're a teacher for me. You're a, you're, you're a resource and you're a support. You're part of my success team and I'm part of yours. We become permeable to that. The, the second step is to grieve. That's what we're doing today. Well, I want to talk about this because it's important to grieve. And maybe you have things in your life you're grieving right now. And that can be included in the collective today. To grieve, to grieve our wound. Tears are healing. Tears are healing. 
They help to open and clean the wound. Grief is a form of validation. The wound mattered. The reason we're sad is because it, it mattered. It matters what happened. And so we cry. I remember as a kid, when I'd cry, you know, suck it up, you little baby. Stop being such a baby. So you get a message, you're three or four years old, and you're, oh, I'm not supposed to cry. Well, what do I do when you beat me? So then I got to go outside and find somewhere to cry so I don't get beat more for crying. But I mean, that's, that was, that's not an uncommon situation. But it's important, it's cleansing, and it, mean, and it mattered. Number three, we let spirit love us. There's nothing we have to do to be loved by spirit, by God. We are loved unconditionally and absolutely. And yet, when we think we're on our own, and we've got to protect ourselves, we keep that away too. Eldridge talks in his book, Wild at Heart, he's counseling a young man, and this young man said, I have such a hard time with that, being loved. I have such a hard time with that, just being loved. It feels, I feel so naked. I'd rather be in control. Wouldn't you rather be in control than loved? I mean, think about it. If somebody asked me that, maybe seven out of ten times, yeah, I'd rather be in control. That loving thing, I'm just not used to it. What's that all about? It's our nature. It's how we're wired. And so am I allowing myself to be loved, to, guide, to be guided? I'd rather be in control. I'd rather be admired for what I bring to the group. What would the world look like if we just realized who we were? That we're, we're just inherently lovable. Just let's give it up. Let's just all say, hey, you know what? I'm lovable. I don't have to be perfect anymore. I used to stand at that back door going out, that door over there, and people would come by, and when I first got here, and people would say stuff to me. You know, there was a lot of turmoil. I was a new guy. Some people loved having me here. Some people hated having me here. I didn't know anybody. I just plopped down in here, and all of a sudden, there's all this stuff going on. And I, a lot of the times, I'd internalize the stuff that was said, because some of the stuff was not very friendly. And I'd heard Canadians were so friendly. <laughs> I was confused. And, and, but the point is, that what I had to do is I had to find another way to do it or stop. Because it was going to kill me. And so I'd go home and I'd be sick for three or four hours and Laura wasn't here yet. I was living in that uh, luxury suite we have downstairs called the nursery. <laughs> and what I realized is I had to use my spiritual practice. I had to go home and say, God, guide me on this. What do I do? And the message I would get over and over, and I still get it sometimes. I'll ask my, when I'm driving home from here, I'll say, God, how did we do today? And then I don't get an answer. It never shows up. Well, what you did, let me give you a report card. You got an A on that. You could have dressed a little snappier. You get a D minus there. I don't get that. But what I get are the insights. And all of a sudden, I'll get a flash of insight about some, something that reminds me or says to me, you're loved. And you did your best. That's the question I'll get back. Did you do it, everything you could? And most of the time, I'll say, yeah. You know, I had 70% out of 100 today, and I gave my full 70%. And the answer I get back from God is, good for you. Way to go. And they, they won't remember it next week anyway. Just go back and do it again. Because I always tell you everything I know every week. I'm done. I do one talk every week and I'm done. It's all I got. But I'm, I'm sharing that with you because you ask that. God, how are we doing? Because we put this pressure on ourselves to be perfect. What's perfect? I want to show up in a community where I can be as authentic and real with you as you can be with me. And that means all of it. The wounds. The disappointment, the heartbreak, the sorrow, the sadness, the joy, the beauty, the love. We've got to have it all. If we can't stand in all of it and say, oh my God, and understand who we are, that none of it is here to, to, to diminish us. All of it here is an example of what life has to offer. 
and to stand in the fullness of it. But when we don't have that transcendent experience, when we don't have people that have gone before us to guide us in that, that we spin into despair. Our souls are starved. And there's no reason why I go on living. You think maybe the shooter thought that my life has been so painful, this is going to be a gift? I don't want these children to suffer like I suffer? I don't know. I don't understand it, but it occurred to me today. I thought, wow, that's just some twisted thinking. But I think, I really think at some deep level, that's what was going on with this young man. And also there was mental illness, which we don't understand. But of course, it's a stigma for the parents. It's a stigma for him. I'm not good enough. I'm broken. Maybe he showed up as a teacher in some way, some capacity. But to allow ourselves to be loved. And the fourth one is to forgive. The forgiveness in the mourning process, to forgive ourselves because we're not perfect. To forgive a society that has created this, this condition of emptiness and lack. To forgive this, this young man, as Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Last words he spoke. Because he didn't know what he was doing. He was unconscious. And what forgiveness does, it doesn't mean we approve of it. It doesn't mean we endorse it. It doesn't mean that, yeah, this is okay. It's not okay. What forgiveness does is it sets a prisoner free. And then we discover that the prisoner was you and me. When I forgive, I set myself free. That's all forgiveness is. It's not saying I agree with this, I support this. It's putting it down on my own being. Robert Bly said this about his father. Robert Bly Bly was a wonderful man. He wrote a number of poetry books about men. He said, I began to think of, he talks about his father and the forgiveness work he did with his dad. He said, I began to think of him not as someone who had deprived me of love or attention or companionship, but as someone who had been deprived by his father and his mother and by his culture. And it's seen deeper. I can completely relate to that with my own father, my own process with him, my own forgiveness work. Because it's true. It's true. So the, those four steps of mourning are surrender, grief, letting spirit love us, letting us understand that we are lovable just the way we are. We don't have to earn that love. And forgiveness to clear that palate and that plate. I was online yesterday and I was guided to a beautiful article by Dr. Sharif Abdul. And in it, Dr. Abdul, and he blogged on this. And I I think he's right on with what he had to say. He's a professor and a lecturer and an author in the United States. I believe he's on the West Coast, but I'm not uh, sure. But what he had to say was this. He said that people that commit these acts are starved. Their souls are starved. They commit these acts because of that starvation, not in a sense of lacking food, but in the sense of an inability to obtain the real nutrition they need, emotional and spiritual. Emotional and spiritual. And if we don't show up fully orbed in our ability to listen in wisdom and in grace and in beauty and not judging and allow that, 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 what needs to be heard to be heard, we shut it down because it's too painful for us to see it, because we identify with it, we spin into it. That's why practitioners spend so much time training. You don't spin into their story. You know the truth about them. They are, they are a divine expression of life. So we don't, you don't see a practitioner that goes through two weeks of training to come out and say, oh yeah, 
No, it takes years and years and years of practice because we are so inundated with this idea and, and convinced that people are broken. And so how do we turn that around? So what he talks about is, what, what he, he talks about four things here that are, 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 are very key to, to uh, and I think true, about what conditions created this situation. And not just this time, but the times before. He said, a lack of experience of community with other beings. A lack of experience of community with other beings, including but not limited to other human beings. So in other words, you have people who don't even want to go out and join the group and be part of a community because they don't even feel worthy. Or they hold it in contempt or for whatever reason. But it is so important. Community is so important. And intelligent and healthy and powerful and dynamic alive community. Not trying to protect the status quo. This is our teaching and we're going to protect it. Which is what most religions will do. And I'm not picking on them, but it's easy to fall into that trap. We do it in our tradition as well. Talk to ministers many times. Say, look, if our, if our organization and our, and our tradition, if our organization dies, but this tradition it explodes on the planet, I'm all for it. Because I'm for the teaching. I'm for the transformation of the consciousness of the planet. And if it, it happens to be this organization, which I think is a wonderful organization, great. But if, you, if, if I've got to choose the, the tradition and what we stand for or the organization, I'm going with the teaching. So my commitment, my devotion is to the principle. And it always has been. And I love this teaching. I wouldn't be here without you without it. Number two, the lack of experience of depth or meaning, moving through the ordinary world but not having an awareness of these things, of beauty, of love, of meaning, of aliveness inherent in everyday activities. Then every environment is, is sacred and precious. And you get up and go, oh my gosh. We're going to bring the kids up here at the end and they're going to bring their candles up. We're going to do our candle lighting and they're going to come up. But it's, it's, it's such a beautiful thing to be together. It's such a beautiful thing to look out on, the, on this beautiful planet and nature to be part of it and to, to, to connect with it because that is the transcendent experience as well. Number three, a lack of awareness of life and death, a knowing that goes beyond Hollywood movies and first-person shooter video games, that life is precious. How many more violent movies and video games are we going to expose our, our, our young people to and then expect them not to, to, to absorb some of that? And then it becomes a, a way of their life. It just does. And many, many handle it very well and understand it, but some don't. Number four, a lack of a dream. This is very important, a lack of a dream, not just the sleeping kind, but an aligned with a concept, an idea that goes beyond your personal life. To have a dream. This is what we teach. Everybody's got a gift, and everybody's got to formulate that gift and then serve with that gift. And if you're, you're, you're sparked by something, that's your dream. But your dream's got to be bigger than something you can get done on your own. So it requires to be in relationship with yourself, with others, and with God. It's important, as he says, to dream. Research has shown that if a person is denied dreams, they go psychotic. Have you ever seen those videos where they keep waking somebody up and they go into the REM sleep? That's the dream state? After a while, they go psychotic. They know, they just stop. They can't do the experiment anymore. And this is what happens. They go psychotic really, really quickly. They live in a psychotic society. We live in a psychotic society because we have been denied our communal dreams. We've been denied the dreams that we hold in common. We've been denied our experience of the transcendent. That's why this teaching is just so precious. We, we don't, we, Holmes and his brilliance, he cut right to the chase. It's not about going through me to get to God. It's about you connecting with God. It's about me doing my work so when I show up to share with you that I'm not up here talking, but something is talking through me. It's that experience. And it's a beautiful thing. And you know that. 
We should have these, these communities. I said earlier, every city in North America. People where you can step in and have this transcendent experience in community and celebrate and celebrate your dreams. You know, I was raised, I, 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 was, I was the outstanding senior athlete in my high school. I was so proud of that. I, I was, I mean, I was like, I, I was on the football team. If, if, I would hit everybody, even in school, going down the hall. I'd tackle people on the way to the next class. I mean, I loved it because I had so much anger pinned up in me. That's an exaggeration. But I remember when I was, uh, I received that award, I went up to my mom, and she said to me, well, don't get a big head. And I thought, oh, crap. You know, I mean, that's, you don't, I didn't say that to her. I just didn't say anything. But that had been my dream. And then one of the people that I loved so much just said, well, make sure you don't think too much of yourself. I'm like, oh, okay, well, then I got to keep, I guess I got to, when, when is it going to be enough? Because I kept looking for that validation. My mom was doing the best she knew how because that's the message she got. Didn't do anything wrong. This wasn't a very big idea. I kept, if they just patted me on the head once in a while, my whole life would have been different. But they weren't giving out any pats on the head. They were giving out wax on the butt. The hunger for the sacred is a good thing. To teach the transcendent experience is so valuable. These kids are downstairs in this program, these little children, our young ones that come here. Sam Simpson's part of it, and Florence is sitting over there. You know, to, to come and have the glimpse of the transcendent experience, oh my God. And to say, you have a dream alive in you. Let's celebrate it. Let's share it. This young man didn't get any of that. His soul was starved. Most of us, he says, in this society have no idea how to be fed. We've created a soul-starved society. We've created a condition I call spiritual starvation. So many people are filled with despair, anger, and frustration instead of being filled with spirit. Look out at the world. Read the paper. This, this young man was so filled with despair, anger, and frustration, it was too painful for him. Spiritual starvation happens when people are trying to satisfy their spiritual hunger with things that, can't complete, that completely lack spirit. With things that are not spirit food, it's like eating styrofoam, he says. Shaping and painting the styrofoam to look like food does not provide nutrition. And there's nothing wrong with that stuff. It's just that when people make it their God, they make it the end destination because it's empty. It's a dead end. In this society, we're not able to truly satisfy our spiritual hunger. We are unable to recognize that it's not the new car that you need. And there's nothing wrong with a new car. But if it's filling that void for you, it's empty. It's, it's that you need to be in love. You need to be in love. To receive and give love with another human being. Oh God, it's just so scary to do that though, isn't it? Because then I'd be vulnerable. Tell you I love you? You love me? Oh no, let's talk about something else. We need to get a different color paint in the ladies room over here. Yeah, let's talk about that. It's not the bigger bank account that you need. You, go, you need to belong to and work for your community. It's not the second house you need. You need to go out and be with nature and to connect with yourself. 
what we mass in the society, and I believe what we stand for is a tradition, and that's why I'm so proud and excited about what we do, to come together and have this honest conversation, because it's not a fun thing to talk about, believe me. Man, Mom just cracked open, and I'd much rather be up here, you know, I got a whole list of jokes I can be telling you, but today ain't a day about jokes. Today is about making it real and making it honest and saying, you know what? We're here. We've got a purpose. We've got a mission. We have created an entire society that revels in shallow materiality while denying the soul, denying depth, denying mysticism and transcendence. And so what do we do? Where do we go? Well, we're going to do a, a memorial service here in a moment for these beautiful kids. In the back, there's some green sheets and the to-do list I'm going to go over really quickly and then we're going to light a candle. We're going to watch a video that Karen Drucker... It's, such, it's, so, it's so amazing, this video that Karen Drucker put together. It's called Light a Candle. And it's so timely. What do we do? There's six points that uh, Dr. Sharif Abdullah writes about here. Number one... Start dreaming. Start dreaming. And not while you're sleeping. What is the life dream that occupies you? What is the goal that transcends your life? That's why we're here. God can only do for us what God can do through us. And you are that emissary. You are the ambassador of that. Start dreaming. Number two, analyze your societal dream. Is it worthwhile? Is it meaningful? You may spend hours a day collecting cat whiskers. Is that your dream? Because some pe- that's some people's dream. But does it, have, does it mean anything to society? People do that. This is what uh, Dr. Sharif says about this. He said, my personal dream, and why I think he's such a good fit for our teaching, our vision, our vision for our organization is a world that works for everyone. This is what he wrote in this article. I don't even think he's ever been in one of our centers. He said, my personal dream is to catalyze and live in a world that truly works for all beings. Oh my gosh, where have I heard that before? That's a big dream. That's going to require a lot of work. It's going to be inconvenient. And he says, that dream keeps me young, alive, and fresh. It's my reason for waking up every morning and the reason why I can go to bed tired but satisfied every night. It is a dream worthy of my sacrifice, even the sacrifice of my life. Your dream must be more than I want the world to be a better place. It's got to be bigger than that. He says right here, Adolf Hitler wanted the world to be a better place. He did. He just had a very aberrant and, and twisted way of doing. Does it serve society, the highest and the best? Number three, share your dream with others, especially your children or the other youth you are around you. Let them know there's, there's more to life than a new car and a full bank account. Let them know from your own example that you are not moved to act by fear, but by love. So when our children come to us and they hear about this, it's a great teaching opportunity. I was just down talking to Carmian. He's with the tweens. And I, he said, what should I say when it comes up? I said, Carmian. See how they are. Ask them questions. Find out where they are. Talk about their fears. Make it real. And then say, it's so easy, but also we're here about love. We're here about love. And if we stay stuck in the fear, we're never going to be of, of support. Have that conversation with them. He said, thanks. I said, well, this is what we do. He said, more importantly, number three, enlist their aid and support. Invite them to make societal, uh, your societal dream their own. A world that works for everyone. These little five and six-year-olds down there plan to see with them. It's possible to have a world that works for, for everyone. It's probably going to take a few generations. But, but plant those seeds with them. This is a possibility. 
Number four, practice your dream. Devote time to it. Practice it out loud. Don't just talk to your in-group, the people who are comfortable with. Out, <clears throat> out loud means go to the same places as the shooters. Go to Walmart. Go to the movies. Go to the malls. I was talking to another minister last night. He said they were in the mall yesterday, and he was looking over his shoulder. Because we're all scared. It's so fresh. There's nothing wrong to be, with being scared. We can't live in fear. He says, pass out, I love this. He said, pass out flyers that say, I love you. I love you. I'm going to start doing this. I am. You guys will see me on the news one night, probably getting carted away. <laughs> pass out flowers somewhere, or a flyer somewhere. Say, I love you. I want nothing from you, but my dream is to create a world that works for all. What's your dream? What if we did that? Became ambassadors for that. I love that idea. Consider it a holiday card that you're going to give to a few thousand anonymous friends. Make eye contact with each and every person you give your card to. Show people the power of a positive dream. I'm alive. Number five, introduce your children to transcendent experiences. Regardless of your religion or your belief system, you don't have to believe in God to have a transcendent experience because God doesn't care. You can be an atheist. I talk to atheists all the time. They say, I don't believe in God. And I say, well, tell me more. And then they'll tell me what they don't believe about God. And I say, I don't believe that either. So I guess I'm an atheist with you. Because I don't think God's a guy with a white beard standing up on a cloud making arbitrary decisions. I'll mess this guy up and I'll bless this one. I don't believe in that God either. I believe in my God essence. I believe in your God essence. I believe in my ability to choose in each moment. Introduce your children to transcendent experiences. There's a whole paragraph here about how to do that. Walk in the woods, yoga, chanting, mystical dance. Talk to them about what they're going, what's going on with them psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. And number six, at the very least, send a copy of this article to every young person on your email list. So if you Google Dr. Sharif Abdullah, you'll find this. And if you feel compelled, but to take a copy with you. They're green and they're back there. But this is, this is our opportunity to look at this and pull it up and look at it. Because it's painful. It's painful and it's sad and it's sorrowful. And so, excuse me as I pick up my candle here. I'm going to invite you to pull your candle up and Suzanne's going to pull up a video. This is a Karen Drucker video. I'm going to come down and I'm going to light the candle and we'll pass the light around. And I want to talk about the candle lighting is a, a symbol of unity it's a symbol of warmth, it's a symbol of love, it's, it's a symbol of faith. And so what we want to do, and you are the light of the world, as the teacher Jesus said. So sometimes we've got to protect our candle. Sometimes we've got to keep it from going out. But that's part of the spiritual practice. Oh, they're already lighting it in the back, those little sneakers. So there's some candle lighters coming up behind you. I'm gonna light Diane's candle and I'm gonna light Clarence's candle. And let's watch Karen Drucker. It's a beautiful song that she wrote. She didn't know she was writing it for us, but she did. So protect your light. And we'll turn the lights down here in a moment, too.
I'll light a candle in your memory, though I don't know who you are. And when I think about your family, I will wish upon a star. And I pray that they'll find peace someday. I pray they'll make it through. I'll light a candle in your memory to honor you. I'll light a candle for America. May we feel peace inside. We'll hold each other closer.
raise your candle with me. We dedicate this candle to all those beautiful children, family, and parents. It's a light of love, it's a light of warmth, it's a light of faith and a light of unity. And may our love that is present collectively and individually here as our hearts are cracked open and as we mourn and they're sorrowful together, a conveyance of that love to those families, to those people, to those children, to wherever there is pain in the world. It is true as we sing every week, there's enough love present here for all the world. And so let this candle as we hold it high Remind ourselves of that. Let this candle, as we blow it out, let that light, take that light within each and every one of us and allow that to be a metaphor and a touchstone of remembering you and I are the light of the world, that we have dreams to live. We have dreams to share and to impart with everyone, especially our children, to nurture that dream within them, a world living in love, a world that works for everyone. This is my knowing. As I blow my candle out, I take that idea and this light with me everywhere I go. Beautiful. Beautiful. We're going to invite Sean Sandego to come up share another song with you. It's a song about love if he's singing the same one he did this morning. Sean, what an amazing young man. Here's a man that li- is living his dreams. And we love you. Thank you for being with us today and you're, you're sharing your gift and inspiring us. I was born When she wakes me She takes me Back home Now most days I spend Like a child Afraid of ghosts in the night. I know there ain't nothing out there. I'm still afraid to turn on the I am at ease in the arms of
As our ushers come forward, what I invite you to know with me in this, this memorial service for our planet, for a world that's heart's been broken open, let us know that our gifts continue to propel us forward collectively and individually so that we continue to create a rich and powerful and amazing spirit and experience of transcendence for one another to be able to show up authentically and beautifully and share not only our joys but our sorrows, our disappointments to come together and mourn collectively and individually in a way that's meaningful and powerful that we know does not diminish the essence of who we are but it cleans away anything and everything that restricts our oneness with one another and with God. And so I know that my gift this day is conveyed with that knowing, with that intention, that I see a world that does work for everyone. I see that this teaching and this, this philosophy is like a, a, a contagion of, of good, blessing this planet, ready to be given birth in a new and powerful way. I believe that this, this rite of passage that the Mayans talked about is the death of a world that no longer works and the birth of a world that works for everyone, that there's a rising tide of love that we are part of. This is my knowing. This is my declaration. This is my affirmation. This is my expression of love, and I thank you for supporting me in that. And so I know my gift this day and your gift this day go to continue for that spread of that, that, that rising tide of love in every good way. I release anything in my awareness and consciousness in contradiction or in opposition to that idea and invite you to say with me, and so it is. Amen. I am so blessed. I am so blessed. I am so grateful for all that I am. I am so blessed. I am so so grateful. I am so blessed. I am so blessed. I am so blessed. I am so grateful. 